Hello my lovelies and welcome back to another episode of Primed for Crime. I am your host Liv and I'm very excited to have you back here and hope you enjoy today's case. And apologies for no case last week, I was away on work so I didn't have time, didn't have uh, anything with me. Um, But I'm back now, back to my normal work life and I have this case for you. So today I'm going to be talking about the tragic death of a woman named Tamla Horsford who died under really suspicious circumstances whilst attending a party at a friend's house and I'm saying friends very loosely. So today's case is going to be a bit of a wild and frustrating one more than anything like there is so much information but it's inconsistent information you know, it's a lot and I'm going to try and relay it as best as I can with the information that I have. But this is one of those cases that will just never leave my mind. And honestly, some of, well, most of this case just infuriates me. And I think you'll be left the same. I think after listening to all the stories from everybody, all the, quote, evidence, And just all the circumstances, I really do, it really does leave you wondering. And you're just going to have to listen to it. If you don't know it already, you're just going to have to listen and go with it. But before we get into the case, I just want to say that everything I talk about today is just information I have found online and I mean no disrespect to anybody involved or mentioned. Today's episode involves mention of racism and brief mention of suicide, so if this is something that you're not comfortable listening to at the moment, then please feel free to click out of this podcast. So, let's begin. This is the suspected murder of Tamla Horsford. Tamla Horsford was born in St Vincent in 1978, but moved with her family to the US in 1989. She then met her husband, Leander Horsford, or more commonly known as Lee, in Florida, who already had a daughter from a previous relationship, but Tamla took in and raised his daughter like her own, I think she was very young at the time, and, you know, his daughter even called Tamla mum, you know, she was just known as this such loving person with an infectious smile, didn't want anybody to feel left out, just a genuinely lovely and kind person. So Tamla and her husband actually went on to have five sons together and the family eventually moved to Cumming, Georgia for Leander's job. And before we get into the actual event itself, I just want to give you a little bit of background on the sort of area that we are actually talking about here and the kind of past that it's linked to. It's rather sinister and not so nice, but I really do think it's important for this to be spoken about, especially within this case. So, Forsyth County lies within the Atlanta metro area and it's approximately 40 miles northeast of Atlanta. And Cumming is the county and the setting for which this crime takes place. So for nearly all of the 20th century, Forsyth's county population was mostly white. And in 1912, all black residents were forced to leave the county after the lynching of a man named Rob Edwards, 
who, along with other black suspects, was accused of raping and murdering a young white woman. And after the lynching, if a black person returned to Forsyth County, they were forced to leave or they were shot. You know, the county remained all white for nearly 75 years. And even now, still, Forsyth County remains nearly 80% white today. Which, that history, it's not good. It's really not good. And, you know, you may be thinking, like, Liv, what has this got to do with this case? But I promise you, it is important. You know, racism, unfortunately, still plays a part in this world, which is terrible and this area particularly and with its history and the people it's just really sad and it's not acceptable but I really do think you'll see more as we go on why this is important but yeah this county that this crime takes place is a very very white county with obvious you know signs of racism there it's very obvious so you know, for now, let's get back to Tamla and the series of unfortunate events that took place in November 2018. So Tamla was the type of person who just loved to have fun and was often described as the life of the party. So in November 2018, when she was invited to a birthday kind of slash slumber party, like a big adult sleepover type thing, held at her friend's house, Jean Mayer's home, Tamla was obviously so excited and just couldn't wait to let her hair down. You know, Tamla knew Jean through their son's school sports, although this was only the second time that they'd hung out outside of the sports. You know, the only other time before this was the weekend before this party. So although they didn't know each other too well, I think Tamla was just so excited to make some new friends. She was very excited for this party. So Jean's friend, Stacey Smith, was the party's host and she was in charge of sending out invites through Facebook. Now this party or gathering was supposed to be kind of low-key, fun sort of thing with a bit of drinking and everybody was told to stay over so no one had to get behind the wheel of a car under the influence. So... On Saturday, November 3rd, 2018, Tamla made a breakfast casserole for her family before she went to this party. Now, on the invitation, it asked the women to be there at 7pm, but Tamla apparently rocked up at 4450 Woodlook Court at approximately 8.30pm with a bottle of tequila in hand, intended as a birthday gift for Jean. However, Jean declined this as she didn't like to drink it, and I've listened to some interviews and apparently, you know, Tamla was like, oh no, it's really good, it's from, you know, take a smell, it's really good, and apparently Jean literally smelt it and like, gipped. She was like, no, no chance am I drinking that. So, Jean didn't take it. So anyway, once inside, Tamla changed into a white onesie pyjama type thing, which was covered in like grey paw prints, looks very comfy, and I think all the women were in comfy clothes, it wasn't like a dress up thing, like I said, pretty low key, and personally, party in pyjamas sounds like my idea of heaven, or even just pyjamas and no party, you know, perfect. So this party was bring your own booze sort of thing and originally intended to be females only. 
However, Jean's boyfriend, Jose Barrera, 27, and Stacy's husband, Tom Smith, decided to stay. Now, the Smiths had had like a gender reveal party earlier that day at their home for Stacy's sister, Jamie, and Tom didn't really want to return home alone to be in a house full of Jamie's college friends. So altogether, there was 12 people besides Tamla, which included nine women, two men and one husband who dropped off and picked up his wife. So there was Jean Mares, Madeline Lombardi, Stacey Smith, Nicole Lawson, Marcy Hardin, Paula Seals, Bridget Fuller, Sarah Cockrum, Jennifer Morell, Jennifer's husband who dropped off and picked her up, Jose Barrera and Tom Smith. Now, out of all 12, 13 of these people, Tamla was the only black woman. So the gathering was underway and the women were all chatting, eating food, having a drink and they were watching the Alabama LSU game on the home's main level whilst the men took themselves down to the finished basement to watch the game, kind of out of the way sort of thing. And I think the whole Alabama game was like a huge aspect of this party as Jean was a huge fan. Now, there's actually a photo online of all the women huddled on the sofa, seemingly having a good time, but we will come back to this, you know, in a little bit. So according to the guests, Tamla was a regular smoker and periodically stepped out onto the balcony to have a smoke. And apparently she also smoked weed once, but Jean asked her to stop because Barrera was a, quote, pre-trial officer and did not approve, end quote. So they're watching this game and when it gets to half time, the men come upstairs and join the women and the group played Cards Against Humanity, which I'm sure a majority of you will be familiar with, but if you're not, then it's basically like an adult party game where players fill in blank statements using words or phrases that are typically deemed offensive, you know, or politically incorrect. Like it's all a little bit... Yeah, so during the game, Tamla FaceTimed her children to make sure that they were okay, and this could be seen in the background of one of the women's live videos that they took. So the group took pictures and videos throughout the night, none of which showed Tamla in distress or intoxicated, which is very important to note. She just looked like she was having fun. And like I said before, the guests were told to stay overnight, however, not everybody did. There were Sarah Cockrum, Bridget Fuller and Marcy Hardin and Nicole Larson. They all left to go home at the end of the night. So the guests started to go to bed at around 1.30am, but Tamla decided to stay up for a little bit and Bridget Fuller was the last known person to see Tamla alive. She talked briefly with Tamla, who was eating a bowl of gumbo in the kitchen at around 1.45am. And I wasn't actually sure what gumbo was, but after looking on Google, it kind of looks a bit like a stew. Maybe like a spicy stew. I'm not sure, but that's the best way that I could describe it. It looks quite yummy, actually. So Tamla told her that she planned to smoke a cigarette and then head up to bed. And Bridget Fuller's husband, Gary, then arrived to pick her up. And she walked out the house at 1.47am. Niall Capello of Rolling Stone reported, quote, Over the next 10 minutes between 1.47am and 1.57am, 
the home security system registered the back door opening, closing and opening again for the last time at 1.57am. End quote. It also recorded the garage door opening and closing and opening again at 1.30 and 1.40am, but this was never explained, which seems a little bit strange. So the next morning, at around 8.30am, Madeline Lombardi, which was John Mayer's aunt actually, woke up and got herself dressed and went to make her morning coffee downstairs in the basement where she actually lived. So while she was down there, she looked out the window and saw something on the ground in the garden. She then walked outside and found Tamla Horsford in her onesie lying face down. Madeline then knelt beside Tamla's body and said a prayer, which I find this so hard to understand. She found this woman's body on the cold, hard floor, face down, and the first thing she did was pray. I mean, I'd like I'd like to think if any of my friends or anybody that I'd been with had found me like this, that they'd at least check if I was okay. Anyway, so after praying, she then went up to wake Sean Mayers and Barrera. But when Madeline approached the door, she thought she heard running water, so she went back downstairs and waited several minutes before knocking on the door again. Which, several minutes? Sorry? So they finally answered the door, and she said that she needed Barrera, and said to Jean that something was wrong with her, quote, friend from the islands, end quote. Yeah, she actually said that, so awful. John called 911 just before 9am, which is a whole 30 minutes after Madeline had found Tamla on the floor. Both John and Barrera spoke to the dispatcher, and I would highly recommend listening to this 911 call. I'm actually, I'll actually link it in the show notes for you. There's just something about it that just doesn't sit right with me. And considering that Tamla was pretty much a friend. She doesn't sound worried or even upset that Tamla is lying motionless on the floor in her own garden. Like, they just seem... Like, even if you didn't know them, I think you'd be a bit more panicked. Like, you'd be panicked. You would be panicked if you found that. And, you know, I'd love to insert a clip of this, you know, but copyright, and I'm still trying to figure out how I can go about all that. So hopefully, one day soon, I'll be able to insert clips for you all, but for now I'll just quote and tell you a few things about it. So Jean says, quote, she was drinking and it looks like, I'm guessing maybe she fell off the balcony, end quote. Then Barrera says, quote, she's not moving one bit, she's not breathing, she's completely face down in the yard, she's stiff, end quote. And just to let you know, this call is like seven minutes long. And not to mention the fact that Tamla's name doesn't even get mentioned. Like they're saying, like, one of them or the woman we believe to be deceased and she... You know, when the dispatcher asks for her name, he's like, um, well, I think her name's Tam, so short for Tammy and something. And I'm guessing maybe Jean or somebody else tells him and he spells it out to the dispatcher. But before that, like, her name didn't even get mentioned once, even when Jean was on the phone. They just kind of refer to her as, like, 
like she's not a person. It just all seems very, very odd. So the police officers arrived at the scene within 15 minutes after receiving this call and the paramedics also showed up but Officer Corey Moore sent them away. Barrera, who was trained in CPR, made no attempt to resuscitate Tamla and same goes for the police officers. Nobody tried anything. Tamla was pronounced dead at the scene two hours later. Her body lay there for two hours Nobody tried to help her. We don't even know for sure if she was dead when the officers arrived. No attempt was even made to help her. You know, the dispatcher's asking Barrera, like, is she alive? Is she moving? Can you check? And he's just like, uh, well, she's laying on the floor. I don't really want to move her. And I just find that so wrong. I just find it so wrong. Like, if you found a person, whether... You'd, you'd want to try and do something. You'd at least try and check. I don't even know if he turned her over to see. I don't even know that. Barrera actually told the police that he found a unlit cigarette and lighter on the upper deck, which suggested to investigators that Tamla went out for a smoke at around 1.57am and accidentally fell to her death off the balcony. And ultimately, the authorities concluded that Tamla died in an accidental fall and found no evidence to suggest foul play. Now, Tamla's husband said that the authorities initially told him that Tamla had tripped over some guarding edging and suffered a fatal injury, which is something that Madeline had actually done in the past herself, but she definitely did not die from those injuries. It just doesn't doesn't add up there's just so much about this case that is wrong the investigation was just wrong you know for example the police didn't collect potential evidence such as fingerprints and during the autopsy the medical examiner didn't use a sexual assault kit or even collect fingernail scrapings and surprise, surprise, the security cameras that were installed at the house that Barrero actually said to the dispatcher that it would have been capturing Tamla's fall, um, well, they very conveniently weren't recording that night, which always happens to be the case. I can't even deal with this. So they just automatically said, yeah, this is accidental, nothing more's really going to happen. Associate Medical Examiner Andrew Loop Miners completed the GBI Medical Examiner's Report, which is the Georgia's Bureau of Investigation. Sorry, I really cannot talk today. And he stated that the, quote, multiple blunt force injuries, end quote, that Tamla's body sustained were, quote, consistent with those received in a fall, end quote. However... Mm, her injuries do suggest otherwise. So Tamla suffered blunt force trauma to the head, neck, torso and extremities. She also had a broken neck, dislocated wrist and laceration to the right ventricle. Tamla had abrasions on her face, fingers and cuts to her arms and legs. And there's actually a picture of Tamla's wrist, which was a compound fracture, so... Obviously, the skin's all cut up. And Jose Barrera apparently told 911 that it was a suicidal cut. 
Her legs were extended behind her with both feet pointing to the right. Her right arm was close to the body whilst the left arm was extended and bent at the elbow. However, despite landing face down, Tamla suffered no facial injuries other than some minor cuts and scrapes. I mean, if she's literally been found face down, you'd expect at least maybe a broken nose or... I don't know, maybe some deep cuts, fractured jaw or something. I don't know, but she just had cuts and scrapes on her face. So a toxicology report was also taken, and this came up with some rather surprising results. So this report revealed a blood alcohol content at 0.238, which is almost three times the legal limit to drive. And with a blood alcohol level this high, it usually leads to blackouts, loss of coordination, vomiting. And also keep in mind that a level of 2.250, sorry, is like, that's alcohol poisoning limit, you know, which she wasn't too far off. But despite this, people at the party said that she never appeared intoxicated. And on the photos, Tamla is not seen with a drink in her hand like the rest of them. It just doesn't make sense that her alcohol level is that high. Tamla was also found with THC and the anxiety drug Alprazolam in her system, which is something her friends have stated on social media that she does not take. Now, officials have never tested Tamla for illegal drugs, telling Capello that, quote, It's standard policy not to test for illicit substances when the possible suspect is deceased, as there would be nobody to hold accountable if they were to find drugs present. End quote. So let's just let that all sink in for a moment. What the fuck's going on? Doesn't... It just seems a little bit strange. Smells like a little bit of a cover-up to me, but, you know, we'll come back to this. And did you also notice how they said, quote, possible suspect? Possible suspect. What is all that about? Ralph Fernandez is the lawyer representing Tamla's family. Now, he reviewed the evidence in Tamla's case and later released a letter summarising his findings. He concluded that, quote, homicide is a strong possibility, end quote, and believes scratches on Tamla's hands and wounds are defensive wounds, which likely indicates that she was fending off some sort of attack, which, I'm not going to lie, that was immediately my thoughts, exactly. So Fernandez was also rather surprised by the lack of autopsy photos, which he said is, quote, practically unheard of end quote, in a case like this, and, quote, most likely done at someone's direction, end quote. So, Versailles County Sheriff's Office and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation released statements claiming autopsy pictures were taken and held that Tamla died in an accidental fall. The GBI confirmed in an email to Rolling Stone that, quote, Autopsy photos were taken and claims the holdup is related to a missing release from Tamla's next of kin. End quote. Fernandez, however, insisted the GBI did not mention the release until after he went public, so it's unclear if he ever received the pictures, but he had not received them at the time of the Rolling Stone article. 
Detective Mike Christian also raised some eyebrows in his role investigating this case. For a start, he did not start interviewing the partygoers until November 9th, and the last one on November 20th. Sean, Barrera and Madeline were interviewed at the Myers' home, not the county sheriff's office, on November 9th, and Christian started every single interview with something along the lines of, okay, so just tell me in general about the party, what was going on, which gave the witnesses the opportunity to do all the talking. He just he just let them talk. You know, I wouldn't really call that an interview, to be honest. You know, but when he did ask a question, it was just like, oh, how much did Tamla drink? You know, was she drunk? Was she smoking? Did she smoke weed? You know, not particularly the most important questions. Um, oh, and the best one was when he asked Barrera what kind of food they were having. Like, seriously? What does that even have to do with anything? A woman is literally dead here and you are more bothered about what sort of food they were serving. So that gives you a little bit of insight on how that went down. So he asked every single party attendee at the end of the interview the most fucked up question. He said, Is there anything that you can think of that I didn't ask you that maybe I should? I mean, what sort of interview was this? Christian asked numerous leading questions and just came across as entirely unbothered, uninterested in investigating Tamla's death, you know, as if that he just wished he was somewhere else or doing something else. Like, he just wasn't with it. He was not with it. He just, he just screams red flags to me that he just seemed so oblivious, so oblivious. And I've seen some of the police interviews. They are on YouTube. I will try and tag some below. And it makes me physically hurt a little bit. All 12 of them seem so on edge, very nervous, but kind of confident as well, if you will. It's a little bit weird. But there's so many inconsistencies in their police statements. And honestly, they just come across as liars and manipulators who are almost not too scared, almost as if they know that the law is on their side and nothing's really going to happen. So, (laughs) Jean Mayers, sorry, I'm not laughing at the case. Jean Mayers, I don't mean to be rude, but she is probably the most laughable person in the entire group, okay? So whilst Madeline was being interviewed, Jean, and I shit you not, comes out with a Dunkin' Donut gift card for the investigators. Like, sorry? I mean, is it a bribe, perhaps? Which is weird, and of course, Christian and his partner didn't accept that. But then, if we just jump to December 2020, Jean posted a picture on Facebook of her and the two others in Dunkin' Donut masks with the hashtag, if you know, you know. I mean, it could be totally unrelated, but I mean, come on. It just seems so snaking evil. It's it's like I don't I do not even know what to think about that. I just think it is it's laughable that she thinks that this sort of response is okay. Who tries to oh I don't even get me started. 
In Jean's statement, she says that she arrived at her own party at 7.15 and that, quote, everyone was already here or getting here, end quote. However, she goes on to say that Tamla arrived at 8.30 and that she was the last there. I mean, okay, Jean, but that's not everyone. Plus, Tamla wasn't even the last person to arrive. Paula Seals arrived at 10pm, according to her and Nicole Larson's interview. There's also a part of Jean's interview that gives me slightly weird vibes. So one of the investigators asks, quote, Did the next morning, did it look like she had ever made it into bed? End quote. To which she replies, quote, She never made it to the bed. End quote followed very quickly by, quote, well, I'm saying she never made it, it was never messed up or anything, end quote. Mm, seems like a bit of a save to me. Um, and then there's a subtle, subtle um, update status that Jean posted on her Facebook the day after the party, which stated, quote, there was no fall from my deck, end quote, which is a bit, bit odd, and she very quickly deleted the post, but... Um, Someone got a screenshot of it and basically she disputed what investigators said that happened to Tamla. Her lawyers tried to explain it away, but, you know, we know you said it, John. So, Madeline Lombardi. So, Madeline said that she woke up at 8.30am on November 4th and sat in bed for about 15 minutes before going to make her morning coffee and ultimately finding Tamla's body outside. Now, Jennifer Morell said that she woke up at roughly 7.30, 7.45, and by 8am she was ready for her husband to come and get her. So, she said that she saw Madeline in the kitchen at around this time, and she was, quote, acting kind of weird, end quote. And later in the interview, Jennifer changed the time to fit with Madeline's account, as if she kind of knew that she'd messed up a little bit. So already timings aren't exactly very strong at the moment. So Madeline also said in her statement that Tom and Stacy Smith, quote, left in the early hours, they have kids, so I guess they just got some rest and slept off the alcohol and decided to leave, end quote. However, the couple told detectives that they left the house after 7, uh, sorry, 8am. So, you know, Madeline's saying they left in the early hours, but in fact, the couple's saying that they left after 8am. So this is a bit confusing. It certainly confused me, but stay with me here. So all 12 of them said, everyone but Tamla arrived between 7 and 7.30pm. Madeline said Nicole Lawson arrived at 4pm, but Nicole told detectives that she got there at 6pm. Madeline said that Jean and Stacey Smith arrived about 45 minutes to an hour after Nicole, which puts Jean arriving by 5pm, but, you know, Jean said she got there at 715 which honestly I don't understand why or how she could arrive to her own party at her own house at that time. But anyways, we move on. So Madeline said that she was out on the balcony with Tamla whilst Tamla was smoking. And she said this was between the time Tamla arrived and when the game started, 
which again doesn't make sense because the game began at about 8pm but the guests say that Tamla didn't arrive till 8.30, possibly even 9pm by some accounts. So it's all just, again, not making sense. Everybody's story is different. Everybody's story is different. So back to this picture that I said was taken. So Tamla wanted to take a picture of everybody, but Madeline told her that she would take it so Tamla could be in the picture too. So then they sat down to watch the game. Madeline took the group photo before the game started, which would explain why Paula Seals was not in the picture as she hadn't arrived yet. Jean and the others said that Madeline took the picture at half-time, but then they're saying that they, they took it before the game started. Some people are saying this. I don't get it. Okay, so we're moving on. Next on the list is Bridget Fuller. So Madeline said that Bridget and her husband arrived before 7pm and Bridget, who rambled constantly in the interview, never once mentioned her husband being at the party. Bridget said that she called or texted John or Stacey Smith before she arrived at the party to see if she needed to pick anything up on her way there. And in the interview she says, quote, Okay, and then, you know, we stopped. We got blueberry vodka because there were nine women involved, end quote. And, you know, Bridget, nine women, I think you mean ten. There was ten women, if you include Tamla, only nine after the fact. But I don't know why she had to claim a number anyway. You know, what does it matter that there was ten? But she said nine, She said nine. I mean, maybe she didn't know exactly who was going, but I do find that a little bit hard to believe. So Bridget also discussed Berea's appearance at the party and said that he was sitting to her left on the couch when Madeline took the group picture. Apparently he was cropped out for some reason. However, others and Berea himself said that he was downstairs with Tom Smith until games half-time. So you see where I'm going with this, there's just so, so many inconsistencies, you know, just silly little things, like, for example, Jennifer told Detective Christian that Tamla arrived at the party already dressed in her pyjamas, but others said that she got changed there. Nothing is adding up between all of these people. I mean, granted, some people might remember things differently, but with this many inconsistencies, with this level of crime like somebody has literally died Tamla has died and nobody can seem to get their story straight so while not one of the 12 interviewed could confirm what type of alcohol each other was drinking they knew exactly what Tamla drank and they all described the tequila bottle in the same exact way kind of almost as if it was rehearsed but then again, it could have been, I'm not trying to defend them in any way, but I think this tequila bottle was like long and blue, quite distinctive, so maybe that's why they all knew, but they all said the exact same words. So the incident report, the incident report is just full of crap and all, so let's let's just go through that, let's see what else we can bring up. So the incident report, It's stated that the party guests said Tamla was drinking heavily 
and highly intoxicated. However, in the police interviews, they said she didn't appear that way at all and they didn't know how much she had to drink. So that's the first thing. The police called Tamla's death an accidental fall. So why did they put up crime scene tape in the living room? Don't see the reason behind that. Um, Sexton, who was uh, Detective Christian's kind of partner, wrote that Tamla's pyjamas were clean when he examined the body. There was no grass or grass stains or other debris from the ground. You'd kind of think that if she'd fallen like that onto the grass, that it'd at least be something, okay? So Christian said that marks on Tamla's shins corresponded with, quote, a metal landscaping which was part of the yard and found near her feet, end quote. But this is not present in the crime scene photos. Jean told Christian that everyone started going to bed at 1.30, but the report says 1am, which, I mean, that, that one isn't like a huge thing, I guess, but it is still worth a mention. The report also says that the guests last saw Tamla alive around 1am in the living room, but Bridget Fuller saw her in the kitchen eating gumbo at 1.45am. In her interview, Lombardo told Christian that she saw Tamla's body through the basement window. However, the incident report states that Lombardo told the officer that she went outside to check the weather, and that is when she found her. And another thing to quote is, there was also an additional name listed with these 12 people on the police report. A man named Michael J. Pallarino, who was aged 55. Like, who was this guy? He doesn't come up anywhere else, not even sure who he is or if he exists at this point. So, there's a lot of inconsistencies between police interviews and the incident report. And they're they're the main things. There may not be a lot to some people, but with it all as a whole, I think it is pretty substantial. So by February 2019, the Versailles 12, as they have now been dubbed, had lawyered up and started going on about receiving death threats from Tamla's supporters. Now, Michelle Graves is a close friend of Tamla's and her most notable advocate. You know, she understandably believes that the partygoers had killed Tamla and thrown her body over the balcony. And now to top it off, because these people are just as shallow as it gets, seven of the Versailles 12 filed a lawsuit against Graves for accusatory posts on her Facebook page in February 2019. Now, a judge dismissed that lawsuit, but the group appealed, and for whatever reasons, Mayers and Barrera were dropped from the suit. Now, Tamla's family does not believe that she died from an accidental fall, and the department's racist supporters have publicly harassed those associated with Tamla, who have criticised the Versailles County Sheriff's Office. It's like anybody that's behind Tamla or have kind of even questioned this are just getting absolutely harassed and it's just very messy at this point and you know people are trying to stick up for Tamla and give the justice that she deserves but it just seems to be going nowhere 
Ashland Harris advocated for the reopening of Tamla's case and also organised a change.org position and a coming police officer detained her whilst looking for three men involved in a car accident in November 2019. He called in a Forsyth County Sheriff's Office deputy to help with the investigation and Ashland was cleared and let go but later filed a complaint against the officer involved. However, police chief David Marsh exonerated him. Of course he did. And later that month, um, some more deputies showed up at Ashland's home with a warrant for her devices, accusing her of sending accusatory anonymous emails to one of the party attendees. She denied writing the emails and later sued Detective Jeffrey Rowe and Sheriff Ron Freeman for a civil rights violation. And just because this bullshit in this case never ends, here is some more for you. So it appears... Quite surprisingly, that Detective Mike Christian was a little bit of a ladies' man. Now, Christian had multiple girlfriends who were not his wife, and one of them told um, some Mike Mike Pechenik of um, WSB TV that he had taken pictures of Tamla's body and sent them to her, which I cannot even get my head around. So, quote, I mean, I was on the phone with him when he got dispatched to that call, end quote. This is the woman talking to Mike. She said, quote, we were just chatting on the phone and he's snapping me pictures of her dead body laying there, end quote. A second woman said of Tamla, quote, I knew when she died, how she died, the toxic toxicology reports so he was just throwing this information out there like it was nothing end quote the woman also told mike they believe christian shared the information as quote a way to keep the women interested in him end quote what the actual fuck it it makes me so angry it really does make me angry So there was an internal affairs investigation and it concluded that he was, quote, routinely sending pictures, videos and other sensitive information from cases on which he was working to the women. And the sheriff determined that he violated his oath of office and neglected his duties, end quote. And it's no surprise that he resigned in January. Um, And of course, Christian sent Mike a statement Now, are you ready for this shit show? So Christian said, quote, I am far from a perfect human. I chose to end a long-term extramarital relationship abruptly. This person, out of anger and hurt, chose to go to Sheriff Freeman with a list of alleged misconduct on my part. In 2020 hindsight, I would not have resigned but stayed for the investigation and taken what punishment was fitting up to termination. As is, the IA investigation lacks my side of the story and makes me out to be something I am not. All the good I have ever done in 16 years of law enforcement is gone with this document. I chose my wife of 15 years over another woman We are together and undergoing counselling. I made the right decision. I may never drive a patrol car again, but I have the real love of my life and that is all I need. End quote. 
fucking hell, give me a fucking box of tissues. Sorry, Christian, but, you know, even if somebody... I mean, nobody would even lie about stuff like that. Why would... Why would... Even if this woman was angry, I really, really doubt that she would make up something like that. <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because of how utterly disrespectful and ridiculous this is. Oh. And like I mentioned at the start of this podcast, racism in Versailles County has unfortunately been around for a long time and seemingly still is. You know, racism does still exist, very unfortunately, of course. I mean, take Chris Shelton, for example. You know, today he's Forsyth County's deputy coroner, appointed by Sheriff Ron Freeman. But under a previous sheriff's authority, Shelton was fired for making racist dolls. Um, And there's actually pictures of him along with the dolls. But Freeman rehired him because, well, two peas from the same pod, I guess. Um, and according to the Justice for Tamla Horsford Facebook page, Freeman's office was in charge of investigating Tamla's case. And Christian's supervisor, Andy Kaylin, was friends with Barrera. And some more links, Shelton is friends with Brian DeBlois, a military veteran. And DeBlois and his wife, Anna, are very good friends with Stacy and Tom Smith. So everybody seems to be connected in some sort of spider's web, but not a very good spider's web. Oh, and I cannot forget this, cannot leave this bit out. On Tuesday, November 10th, 2020, former Versailles County Chief Deputy Grady Sanford, aged 56, was arrested and charged with two counts of distribution of child pornography. What an outstanding police department. It's just not looking good. It's really, really not looking good. Going back to February 2019, Barrera was terminated for illegally accessing the Horsford incident report and name record for Jean Mayers via the records management system database on a work computer. So again, not not looking brilliant. And speaking of Mayers, uh, she sold her home just months after Tamla's death in June 2019 and she actually sold it to a Forsyth County cop, so do with that what you will. Now Tamla's obvious murder, if you will, remained virtually unknown across the county until the Black Lives Matter movement. Now big celebrities such as 50 Cent and Kim Kardashian encouraged people to sign a petition that called for investigators to reopen this investigation. And within time, the petition had nearly 600,000 signatures. And only after this occurred did Freeman ask the GBI to reopen the case in June 2020. Now, they did reopen the investigation, but nothing has happened with the investigation since. Recently, Leander Horsford has spoken for the first time since his wife's death. He said his wife would have never shown up to a party with people she didn't know well and gotten so drunk that she would have fallen. He said, quote, I'm not saying it wasn't an accident, but I'm saying it was a cover-up. 
I'm saying they made it look like something else, end quote. The family believes that Harford's body sustained injuries after she had died. And honestly, I can't imagine how, you know, Leander and the rest of the family must have been feeling about this, or still feeling there still hasn't been any justice for Tamla. And I guess that's really hard. I'd not even like to think about being in that sort of position. But as he said, he doesn't think that he doesn't think that it adds up. He knows that something isn't right about this. Okay, so thoughts. I first heard about this case in maybe end of 2020, start of 21, and like I said at the beginning, it's one of those cases that I think about all the time, and honestly, nothing about this case or investigation sits right with me. I mean, let's call it what it really is. I think it is a murder, not an accident, and I do think that foul play was involved, and I don't usually talk too much about about my opinions or if I do I try and see both sides and see where the evidence most likely points however in this case I would not rule out that Tamla was purposefully maybe lured to the mayor's home so here's what I think I think Tamla was possibly beaten to death maybe by somebody or definitely more than one person at the party I'm not saying that all 12 of them were involved but I do think that they are covering it up with the help of their friends at the sheriff's office and, you know, police departments and stuff. You know, for me, it's it's all the inconsistencies in the interviews, the police reports. And, you know, if you tell the truth, your story never changes. If you are telling the truth, you know the truth. There should be no inconsistencies in police statements. You know, I could understand maybe one or two timing differences but there is so much in this case it's not just one or two things it's literally every point you know I do not believe that Tamla went out on the deck to smoke a cigarette I believe she was already dead when the security system recorded the back door opening closing opening and I think the others came and went for 10 minutes and left the door open you know as part of the cover-up then maybe staged a body on the ground to make it look like she fell or maybe they threw her off I don't know and you know whether there was an unlit cigarette on the light and a lighter on the deck you know I don't know I doubt it I mean he's lied about everything else Barrero so why why should I believe that he said that was there you know and there's also you know speaking of her coming off the balcony there's absolutely no way Tamla would have landed in the position that she was found if she'd have accidentally fallen. You know, she... You know, and would she have died from a one-storey fall? I am sceptical. You know, people can fall off, you know, four-storey balconies and survive. You know, barely, but they still survive. So, to me, a 50 and 20-foot fall, I, I'm just not convinced that that would have killed her and given her the injuries that she did have it don't get me wrong it could have been you know every fall every everything can be different in circumstances but I just I'm not convinced and a couple of things I didn't mention because I kind of wanted them to say them now is 
Stacey Smith said in her statement that Tamla wanted to drive home, but she and Tom would not let her leave because she had been drinking. Yet, four others were allowed to go home. Four other people were allowed, but they wouldn't let Tamla leave, which makes zero sense because, you know, according to the guest, she didn't even appear intoxicated at all. So why would they let other people and not Tamla? And uh, it was cold that night because according to uh, Jean's interview, the group tried to, quote, get the fire pit on, quote, but failed. So if Tamla kept going outside for a smoke, why didn't she put a coat on? You know, why was she found without a coat if it really was that cold? You know, maybe again, a little thing, it could be nothing, but it is something that I do think about. And why did the state medical examiner perform an autopsy if she died accidentally? You know, as the police insist. So according to the GBI, quote, a complete autopsy may not be performed in cases of natural death in which an adequate medical history exists to document the illness and in which no indications of foul play exist, end quote. According to the Forsyth County Coroner's Office, quote, autopsies are not mandatory to determine the cause of death except in situations where the death cannot be reasonably explained. So, you know, officials said there was no evidence of foul play and that she did fall to her death, so why would they perform an autopsy? And another thing, um, if Tamla did not regularly take their anxiety medications, Officials could have performed further testing called confirmation testing because the, quote, repercussions of a false positive screen can be dramatic, end quote. So there's a lot. And as well, I don't think Tamla drank all the alcohol that the authorities say that she drunk. You know, if you look in group photos, Tamla doesn't even have a drink in her hand, but the others do. I think she probably did drink that night, but I don't think she drank as much as they say that she did. You know, and every person there said that she didn't come across as drunk, she seemed okay. And even, she looks fine in the photos and the videos. So that's another thing I really don't understand. And finally, the security system. Why did it register the back door opening if Tamla went out of the main floor balcony to smoke? So she was last seen in the kitchen by Fuller and there's an entrance door leading from the kitchen to the balcony and one leading from the basement. So in a police interview, Jean, of course, explained this to Detective Christian. The doors are labelled for the security system. So the back door is the door off the kitchen that leads to the upper deck balcony and the basement door is outside the entrance leading from the walkout basement. But what about the garage door? Somebody, somebody opened, closed and opened it again. But nobody seems to explain this in the interviews. You know, it just... I don't understand. I mean, it's not like Detective Christian asked this in the interview. So that's probably why it didn't get brought up. If he had maybe asked proper questions, we might might have an answer to this, but we don't. So, like I said, it's a big case. It is a huge case and maybe nobody actually left that night. I don't know anymore. 
this case is honestly one of those cases that I don't think we'll ever find out, unfortunately. I don't think there will ever be justice for Tamla. And it's upsetting and it's frustrating, especially with everything that I've spoken about today and all the information about the police department, how the investigation was conducted, how everybody's acting. It all just seems very odd. And to me, it screams cover-up. It really does. To me, I do think that she met with uh, with foul play and to even think that she went to this party so excited for an, a night out a night, or a night in maybe with these new friends wanting to be surrounded by people and have a good time. But her life ended that night and she will never get that life back. Which, yeah... It, it is really upsetting. It does upset me. And that does conclude today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. It's been a long one, a very confusing one, and I hope I've managed to relay all the information um, in a way that you could understand. Even I got a bit confused. Um, it's very frustrating, and this case makes me quite angry that this could happen and that there's still not been any justice for Tamla. So my heart does go out to Tamla's family and real friends and um, you know, I'm hopeful that maybe one day the truth will come out but whether or not it does I'm really not sure on that. So I'm going to put some things in the show notes, some links for you to go and have a look at like the 911 call and some of the interviews etc. I'll see what I can find and I'll put it there for you to look at if you are interested. But that is me for now. I will hopefully be back next week with another case. However, if you are still craving a bit more true crime, then you can head over to my Prime for Crime TikTok, where I try to post daily um, small snippets of cases. It's just nice to interact with you all, see what you're interested in, see what you're not. And obviously, any recommendations that you'd like to hear from me, I'm always open to, always researching cases. So, yeah go over, give it a follow, give it a like and don't forget to press the little plus sign on whatever you are listening on um, so you get notifications when I next post. So that's me for now. I'll see you later and I'll be back next Monday. Bye.